What a blessing you all are. And what a precious people you are. We mean that, Pasalama. Oh, you don't believe that you're precious. To have people come to church on a, on a Tuesday night. Yeah, you know, and to see all of you young people coming to dance in the front here and sing and, and everybody. And you are here on a, cold, on a cold day like this one. It must mean you love the Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, we have a lot of ground to cover tonight. So there's a lot of substance that we're going to go through. So I'd love you to listen very carefully. All right. I'm intentionally slowing it down so that you can take notes and follow. All right. So we will, we will go to other levels with time. But for now, just stay with us. We're talking about the blood covenant. We said that the blood covenant is one of the oldest known covenants in the human family. And research is showing that in years gone by, all cultures of the world, nations of the world, all ethnicities of the world participated in this ritual of blood covenants. And this is why in most cultures of the world, you see certain traces in terms of the practices that we engage in, even now in modern times. For instance, we, we spoke yesterday about the shaking of hands or the, the wearing of tattoos. So in this lesson, we said that we're going to learn how God in his wisdom has used practices of, human, of humanity to use those practices that people are used to redeem them and use them for his purpose. Somehow God finds a way for humanity and him to connect on common grounds with a common understanding. And you see a lot of these practices right through the Bible, and it's very important. Now, in studying the blood covenant, there are several things that will be a benefit to us. Number one, it will help you understand the interconnectedness of the Bible. That the Bible is a progressive revelation and that all the doctrines of the Bible have their roots in the Old Testament. So when you read the Bible, because it unfolds and it's a progressive revelation, you'll have a fuller understanding. You won't have gaps. Secondly, you'll also note that, as I said yesterday, you know, the Bible, it's almost like when you have a jigsaw puzzle. With a jigsaw puzzle is you have all these Molanyana pieces that you are supposed to put together to be able to see the complete picture. But to be able to do that, you've got to have the picture of the finished puzzle. Usually, if it comes in a box, you'll find on the, on the, on the box there'll be a picture and inside that box, there'll be these pieces of the jigsaw puzzle. So to be able to have a correct kind of picture and work through the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle, you've got to have a reference point, which is the picture. And so when you look at the New Testament, there are certain things that are done there, statements that are said that you may find like you don't know where they belong on the jigsaw puzzle. So to be able to understand, you must go back to the picture in the Old Testament because a lot of what we find in the Old Testament is done in picture form. It's done in terms of the history 
It's done in terms of the ceremonies that were there. It's done in terms of the language and the coding that is there. And so every time you look at that picture, you'll be able to understand better what's in the New Testament. So it will deepen your understanding of concepts or certain doctrines, for instance, like tithing, worship, the attitude we must have when it comes to offerings. Those things are not fully explained in the New Testament. They are referred to, but there's no in-depth study or an in-depth way to be able to understand. Somebody once said this, and this was very interesting. He said, you know, if you want to understand being saved, go to the New Testament. But if you want to understand God and how he deals with people, go to the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, you can really read fully how God dealt with people. I'm still uh, going through now uh, the book of Samuel. I'm still reading that. And, and you know, it's, it's quite, quite sad to see. And I, I was talking with Lema Bishopur, you know, in the early days of Saul, you know, when he was sought, you know, Saul, when he was sought, you know, and, and when you go to Samuel, the book of Kings, when you read, read the story of Saul, when Saul was sought, in the early days, he was such a humble guy that even when, when the prophet anointed him, you know, when Samuel anointed Saul and was actually looking for Saul, Saul was hiding. And, and when he was anointed, his statement was, I am the least in my father's home and my family is a poor family. He said the same thing that was said by Gideon. So at a stage, Saul was, was such a humble guy, you know, but something went wrong. Something went wrong, and he was anointed by God. He was God's choice, and if you look at him, God used him mightily. He did incredible things. The problem is things went wrong with time. So you can start out being anointed. But as if you don't guard your heart against certain things, it can be a problem. So, you know, when you read the story of Saul, and I'm reading, this guy should have, should have carried that attitude of humility. When he started, you know, he was humble. He didn't make himself a big deal. But as he went on, he became so important. To an extent that when he wanted to go to war at some stage, he was waiting for the prophet to come and offer the sacrifice. But now that he's a big guy, he was hectic. He didn't have time. So he decides to do what he was not supposed to do, to offer sacrifices. One of the things God never allows in his word is for us to cross offices. Yeah. You'll see in the Old Testament, I mean, there was a time when the ark of God was brought back to Israel. And it was carried uh, it was carried on a cart that was pulled by donkeys. And the cart went over a, a stone. And, and as it went over a stone, the ark was about to fall. And the people who had seen the ark, one of them, all he did was to just try to steady the ark that it mustn't fall. And he died. Because he was out of office. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he wasn't supposed to do that. And so when you read the Old Testament, you'll, you'll see things there that true. So if you don't read the Old Testament, you know, we will take a lot of people cross offices. People call themselves by what they're not. You know, people assume roles they're not supposed to assume. You know? So you see now, and people don't realize why things don't work. 
Are you there, Basalwan? So you'll know that the Bible there is a Jesus. Number three, in, in reading this, it will help you understand the language of certain expressions. We're going to go to Genesis 15 today, time allowing. But you'll understand why certain things, the language that's used in certain things, what it means. Number four, a revelation of the blood covenant will, will help you understand that you're going to see more of that tomorrow and on Thursday. Number one, the sacredness of covenant. Yeah, Muruti Matole is waiting for me to talk about the threshold covenant. I'm going to talk about that, Bishop, tomorrow. <laughs> it will help you to understand, number, number two, the permanence of covenant. So it, it will affect your faith. Number three, it will help you understand that God is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. If you can really understand that about God, you, your, your faith level will never be the same. Number five, it will strengthen your faith as you understand that the word of God, that the word of God is simply a covenant. The word testament actually means covenant. Now, we, we define the word covenant. I'm just going back a bit for those of you who were not here, we will, and, and just to remind those of you. The, f the first time the word covenant is used in the Bible is in Genesis 6. I'm saying the word covenant. Covenant was practiced before that, but the word covenant was used, and that's Genesis 6, 18, where God says to Abram, and it's important to say Abram, not Abraham, I will establish my covenant with you, I mean to Noah rather, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you and your sons, your wife and your sons' wives. So the, 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 that word covenant, when we first encounter it in Genesis 6, it's about God protecting, saving, and redeeming a people to himself. And as you read about covenant, listen to this, this is important. Covenant speaks of two or more people coming together and committing to one another to do something special. Okay? So we said the word covenant in Hebrew is the word berith. And that word berith gives the sense of cutting or a cutting that causes blood to flow. It also means a compact. All right? Because a compact is made by passing between two pieces of flesh. So the Hebrew word berith from the Old Testament word, is when it's translated, it means to cut where blood flows. So, you know, so when you hear the word covenant, you don't, you know, it's, and God says, I will make a covenant. Rightfully, you should read, I will cut a covenant. And the word covenant means we will cut where blood flows. In other words, it will be a cutting that will cause blood to flow. Now, I'm going to talk to you today about the importance of blood. I touched on it yesterday. I want to touch on it much more uh, at length today. And you'll understand why blood is so important. All right? The Greek equivalent of that word berith is the word D-I-A. T-H-E-K-E. -E. D-I-A-T-H-E-K-E. -E, and it means, it speaks of a mutual pact between two people which binds them together. So, why do we need to do a marriage ceremony? Why can't people just fall in love and shake up together? Why can't they just, when you love one another, then we just do fat and set? Because when you've fallen in love, you just love one another, you are not yet in covenant. It is through the practice of 
the marriage covenant, whatever form it assumes in different culture, the concept is at that ceremony, that's where covenant is entered into. So people say, no, no, we don't want to marry, we're just trying out each other. <laughs> then when he leaves, and when she leaves, they say he was not committed. Question, committed to what? There was no covenant. Committed to what? There was no covenant. Look at your neighbor and say, why are you not saying amen? So a covenant binds people together, brings people together. So we saw yesterday, and I don't want to go through all that because it's going to take too much time now. Nine things that were done when covenant was cut. Okay, quickly. The taking on of the coats and the rope. Number two, the taking off of the belt. Number three, the cutting of the covenant by t- splitting an animal. Number four, the raising of the right arm, the mixing of the blood by clasping the hands. Number five, the exchange of names. Number six, the making of a scar by rubbing powder where the incision was made. Number seven, the giving of covenant terms. Number eight, the eating of the memorial meal. And number nine, the planting of a memorial tree sprinkled with the blood of an animal. That was quick, wasn't it? Yeah, but all of that was done. Now, today we want to pick up on this. Covenants are simply agreements or contracts that usually have common rules. All right, common rules. Let me give you those rules. Number one. They have certain terms or they last for a certain time. So when a covenant is made, right, they lasted for a certain time. Now, in the case of a blood covenant, it lasted forever. And it went beyond your lifetime. All right? That's the first rule. Rule number two, covenants are unbreakable. All right? So the blood covenant in particular, you can't break it. Once we enter, we enter. For that reason... It's important that before we yeter, you must count the cost. This is the same concept God wants us to take into every other area of our lives as well. Number three, covenants are made in mutual interest, right? So you've got to have some vested interest or in mutual love or both. So you don't make covenant with someone you don't love, that you're not in love with, and... Somebody where, you know, there's no interest that serves you. So when you made the covenant, it was because you had vested interest in something. You don't just fall in love and fall in it. Wait, it fell. Yeah. Number four, both parties have to be willing participants. In other words, you are not forced into covenant. So also, nobody forced you. You went into it with your eyes open. That's why it's so bad when people are intoxicated, fall in love, then they, they get married, and the following day you, you wake up, you see this person sleeping next to you, and you don't know what happened last night. What a shock, Bishop. <laughs> number three, number four, number five. Number five, 
in covenants, like in the blood covenant, there's usually a person that acts for each group. So you could have a representative person who acts on behalf of. And you know, let me throw this in. Let me throw this in. We don't understand this concept very, very well. You know, and like I said yesterday, there's, there's sprinkles of this everywhere. With, with, with the blood covenant, you could have one person act on behalf of the many. It's one person. It's the same in the Bible. But let's talk about in history. You remember when David, when Goliath was fighting against the children of Israel? Do you remember that? If you don't remember, go and read it at home. Some of you, your yes is not convincing at all. You, you know I'm going to ask you a question after you said yes. So you want to say yes in a very calculated way. Just in case I ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Do you remember? <laughs> yeah. When he came out to fight, he said to the Israelites, send a person who will fight me. So the two of us will fight. So... If, if I win, then all of you becomes our slaves. That's the nature of covenant. One can act on behalf of the many. Yeah. So, so if, if I lose, then all the Philistines are yours. So in covenants, that's allowed. And you'll see the significance of that as you go along. All right? Number six. Covenants are sealed in a visible manner. They are done in public in the presence of other people, and, 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 and it has to be known by all. So you don't just come dragging somebody and say, Dad, meet my wife. <laughs> I'll throw you out of, anyhow, but let's just. <laughs> you don't do that. It has to be done in public, and that's why, you know, we announce marriages here. Huh? So that people know, that's why we attend these ceremonies. Even if not everybody is invited, some people is just by invitation only. But at least, there has to be people who do that. That's why even in terms of, even the people, bringing people into ministry, these, are, these things are not bringing people into ministry. There's no way in the Bible where somebody just emerged. Never. There was always somebody who acknowledged them. In fact, in the Bible it's even worse. They never even announced themselves. They were announced by somebody. Even Jesus, he never announced himself. It was John who said, behold the Lamb of God. So today when we see people, you know, yesterday they were at Bible school. The following day they are an apostle of the first century. Then you wonder, what happened? I was saying earlier, we violate these things because we have no foundation of the old. Number seven, covenant breakers received no mercy. Now, the covenant we're studying is blood covenant. It's called blood covenant. Now, why is it so significant? What is it about blood that's so important? Let's go to Luke, uh, I mean Leviticus, not Luke, excuse me. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 10 to verse 12. I'm reading the New King James Bible. It says, and whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you who eats my any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood. And I will cut him off from among his people. Verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. 
and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. Please remember that. We're going to come to that maybe on Thursday or so. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Therefore I said to the children of Israel, no one among you shall eat blood, nor shall any stranger who dwell among you eat blood. So verse 11 says, say it with me, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. Let's have verse 11 again. Read it again. It says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. So let's talk about blood for a while, all right? In the sense of the Bible, but also in a natural sense. Why is blood so important? Why are covenants cut in blood? Why don't you use water? Why don't you use, why must you use blood? Why is blood so important? First of all, all life is in the blood. Physically and otherwise. All life, even spiritually, all life is in the blood. Blood is not a symbol of death necessarily. But it's a symbol of life. So all life is in the blood. Number two, very important. All healing is in the blood. In other words, the blood has all the healing you need in the body. And that's why if you cut your body anywhere, if you cut your body anywhere, blood rushes to that part to bring healing. So if you cut yourself, blood rushes there. It brings up clots to cover the hole, to block disease from coming in and to heal you. So the blood, therefore, fights against any infection. Because all healing is in the blood. The blood delivers nutrients to the rest of the body. If you take vitamins, the vitamins get broken down in, in, your, in your system. But then the blood takes those vitamins and delivers the nutrients to the rest of the body. It transports to the rest of your body so that the vitamins can work in your body. So when you eat food, for instance, all right, the food that's digested is finally taken by the blood and is delivered to everything. So in short, Bazalana, your blood keeps you healthy. Thirdly, all nutrients are in the blood. In other words, everything in your body that builds you up is in the blood. Are you with me? Number four. All protection is in the blood. Your immune system is the, is the most important system in your body, and your immune system is in the blood. Did you know this? If your immune system fails, a, a common headache can kill you. Because all the times our body has to deal with germs and infections. And that immune system is in the blood. So therefore, when anything comes into your body, your immune system deals with it. So the blood, therefore, is so important that it protects you from disease. Every time you get a virus, the blood goes into action. And that immune system in the blood fights against disease with all its head. This is why cancer is so difficult to deal with. Because cancer doesn't just affect the body part, it's a disease that affects the blood. That's why HIV is such a difficult thing. Because it affects the blood. 
And this is why chemotherapy is so difficult for the body. Because with other treatments, they treat the organ. With chemotherapy, they treat the blood. So they, they, they put stuff that, that deals or almost destroys the blood. Leukemia is such a difficult disease to deal with. And if people are going to be helped out of leukemia, they have to drain all the blood out of them because it's a disease of the blood. So it's really the blood that keeps you alive. Are you there? Yeah. Are you there tonight? Yeah. Number four, all sustenance is in the blood. Number five, yeah, you're right. Hey, at least you're listening for a change. All sustenance is in the blood. In other words, the blood sustains us. Now, here's what's interesting. Number six, all death, all death is only possible in the blood. Watch this, Barcelona. Unless something else happens, but naturally, usually speaking, you cannot kill a person unless you get to their blood. Think about this. When somebody gets stabbed, blood flows out. Finally, they die. They died because the blood was emptied. When they shoot you, blood comes out. So it's the blood coming out and the blood being affected that really kills you. Of course, the organ can get damaged and so on. Did you know something, Bazalon? So interesting. In medical science, they can keep you alive even if you, you don't have a heart. They can create a machine that helps to circulate the blood in your body. You can have the machine in one room connected to you in another room. As long as the blood flows, you can be alive. So even the heart, even if it's important, but they can make an artificial heart for you, but they can't make artificial blood for you. Because really, it's the blood that keeps your life. Tell your neighbor, see, uh, funda. <laughs> now, here's what I like. All vital organs of the body exist to serve the blood. All of them. The liver purifies the blood. The pancreas helps to keep the bile balanced so that the toxins in the body gets purified in, it, in the pancreas Instead of those poisons coming into your blood, they get purified in there. So if the pancreas malfunctions, and as a result, poison goes into your blood, you become self-poisoning. So the pancreas really exists to make sure that the blood is okay. The heart, the only function I own is to pump the blood. <laughs> it's not the heart that keeps you alive it's the blood that is pumping it makes sure that the blood reaches all your organs so that the blood can deliver food sustenance nutrients, protection to all your organs the kidneys I was reading just now, I was checking it 
It also helps to keep some balance there in the blood. So if you really want to kill somebody, you've got to get to their blood. <laughs> See, if you don't affect the blood, then unless some other organ malfunctions, but generally speaking, it's the blood. But here's what's interesting. At the same time, every disease in the body is in the blood. The blood cleanses the muscles, takes all the contamination from the muscles, and therefore the blood has all the poisons if an animal or a person is sick. Therefore God says don't eat blood. Don't eat blood. Because if an animal is sick and you eat its blood, then you are eating disease. So in a sense, both life and death are in the blood. So unless you change the blood, it becomes a problem. Let me give you a bit of a revelation there. Let me give you a bit of a revelation there. <laughs> Here's Adam, created by God, with good blood. He sins, and as a result of his sin, he becomes contaminated. And every offspring of his, born after first Adam, is contaminated and their blood is contaminated. And because the blood is contaminated, the person cannot be redeemed, they can't be helped. Just like when you have contaminated blood, we've got to change that contaminated blood for you to be healthy again, or otherwise, give tata fell. So if they want to help you cure you of your disease and they call me who has the same disease, if I give you my blood, I'm not helping you. You've got to have blood that's not tainted. And every descendant of mankind who came into the world come in here with tainted blood. And God said, no, 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 we've got to bring new blood. And so when Jesus is conceived, God says, no, we don't want men to be involved because the blood of a child comes after us. This one will be conceived without the aid of a man whose blood is contaminated. And Jesus comes with blood that is not contaminated to come and do a blood transfusion and take your sickness and take your disease and take your sin and give you his life. Can I hear an amen in the house? And a virgin gives birth to a child who becomes the savior of the world. No contaminated blood. Now you know why we believe in the virgin birth. I said, now you know why. That Jesus, that's why, that's why Jesus is who he is. He is not like any of us. He is not like a human being. He doesn't have that kind of blood. And his blood has the power to save us to the uttermost. Can I hear an amen in the house? Oh, Jesus. Now, I want to show you a few examples in the Bible of covenants that were cut. And we're going to read long scriptures. And with the background I gave you yesterday and today, 
Now you'll be able to pick up the language. You'll be able to pick up the ceremony. Then you'll be able to understand why people behave the way they behaved. Let's start first in Genesis. Chapter 15. Let's have it up on the screen. God chooses a man by the name of Abram to enter into an everlasting covenant relationship with him. And God blesses this man, telling him that he would become the father of many nations. I'm going to read from the screens here. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do you see Abram? Do you see Abram? Do you see Abram? The word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, do not be afraid. Watch now. I am your what? I'm your what? I'm your what? I'm your what? Can hear you. I'm your what? Your shield and your? Now that's covenant talk. This is when people took their belt off. And gave it their belt. Because remember, the belt wasn't meant to hold the pants up. Is a place where you stored all your armor. So God is already talking covenant talk. Remember, Abraham is encountering God. Not the first time, but these are the early days. He is not too sure who this God is. And God goes into the culture of Abraham where he comes from South Iraqi and he's used to covenants. God says, look, I'm, I'm going to cut a covenant with you. Let's continue reading. It's a long passage. Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing I go childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Keep going. Abraham said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. You remember when you entered into blood covenants, there's also promises. And this is... Oh, are you alive, you people? Or are you alive? Yeah. Verse 6. Oh, verse 5. Then he brought him outside and said, look now towards the heaven. Count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to them, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord. Now, that, that's such an interesting expression. That expression, he believed in the Lord, it means he had full confidence. It's exactly what people did after a covenant is cut. Because they know we have cut an irrevocable covenant, so I have full confidence. It's not just a belief of just, just, you know, no. They have full confidence that what God has said will happen. He believed in the Lord, and he accounted to him for righteousness. Verse 7. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you the land to inherit it. Keep going, please. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know I will inherit it? Next verse. He said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer. One of our pastors asked me a question about this. I haven't answered him. Bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. All right? Now, that's all God said. Are you there? Yes. You're not convincing. Are you there? Yes. Okay. That's all God said. God said, just bring me. But note what Abraham does in the next uh, verse, verse 10. And he brought all this to him and cut them in two. Down the middle. Placed each piece opposite the other. 
Well, he didn't cut the birds. They were too small to do that. But he, he cuts these pieces and he puts them. What is he doing? He's entering into covenant. C- can you see that now? And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. Keep going. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and a great darkness fell upon him. Then God said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and I will serve them, and, and they will afflict them for 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge afterwards, they'll come out with great possessions. Keep going. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. This is promises, man. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. For in the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass, I love this. When the sun went down, it was dark. Then behold, there appears a smoking oven. And a burning torch that passed between the pieces. Now remember what we said. Somebody could get into covenant on your behalf. I was explaining that yesterday. Now you'll see when we connect this. God, this covenant, even if it's made with Abram, as an individual. But that involved his descendants. It was also a double-fold meaning, where the same covenant applies when it comes to you and me. So God is already setting up the pattern. You remember the Rebuaka pattern? He's setting up the pattern and the prototype of something that is to come. But God feels, let me put Abram to sleep. Let the torch, you have the torch there, and you have the, you have the burning torch, and you have the smoking oven. This is God the Father and God the Son getting into covenant with each other, one representing Abram. Why? Because what God is doing here didn't only have to do with Abram or the Israeli people, it had to do with the salvation of mankind. And God wants to make sure that the ones who goes into covenant with this is somebody who can be relied on, who's not going to change his mind like human beings will change their mind. And so God stands in into proxy. Let me throw in something here. Like as we're at this point, I was going to say it later, I'm going to say it now. When God had entered into covenant with Abram, let's fast forward. He tells Abraham, give me your child. Part of the covenant. Give me your child. Give me your child. Now, what, 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 what your covenant partner asks you to do, you can ask the same from them. He says, not just your child, he says, give me your son. Watch. Your only son. Already God is setting a precedence that I have done this for my covenant partner and I am bound by the everlasting covenant to give my only son. So when you read the Bible, you know the connection between the old and the new. 
And you know that what God is doing here is already talking about Jesus who's coming many thousands of years later. Listen, I'm here to tell you, God is not taken by surprise with your life. He already knows what's coming in your life. You can trust him with your life. Yeah. There appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between the two pieces. Verse 18, my. And on the same day, watch it now. The King James says, the Lord made a covenant. That word covenant is berith. The same day, the Lord cut a covenant with Abram. Saying to your descendants, I have given you this land from the river Egypt to the river Euphrates. Can we hear a big shout of an amen? Now we go to Genesis 17. Just want to show you. Are you ready for this? Now, this is now many years later, okay? Several years later. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared unto Abraham, saying to him, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. Verse 2. And I will what? Oh, come on now. I can't hear you. I will what? I will what? I will make a covenant between? And what will I do? What will I do? Come on, I can't hear you. What will I do? Now watch it now. Verse 3. Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. God is reinforcing as far as I'm concerned. Watch. As for me, God is saying, I'm the initiator of this. I'm the one initiating the covenant, Abraham. As for me, hmm? I have finished with my spirit. I don't know. I'm just thinking of Pastor Benny. I don't know Pastor Benny how to say that in English. But I've already made a quality decision. Verse 5. No longer shall your name be called Abraham. Not Abraham. No longer shall your name be called but your name shall be called So now that's the exchange of names. The ha comes from Yahweh. I was explaining that yesterday. The ha comes from Yahweh. So Abraham, Abraham takes on the name of God. Abraham, your name shall be called Abraham, for I, I have made you a father of many nations. Now let's keep going. We're going to read all of this chapter. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I'll make nations out of you, and kings shall come out of you. My goodness. And I will establish my berith between me and you and your descendants. Watch now. Covenant doesn't just end with you. It affects your kids. And after you in that generation for an everlasting covenant <laughs> to be a God to you and to your descendants after you. So I give to you and your descendants after you the land which is, you'll be a stranger in it. The land of Canaan as an everlasting possession and I will be your God, their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant. Watch. You and your descendants after you throughout the generations. Verse 10 and this is my covenant that will keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be what? Shall be what? That's the spilling of the blood. 
That's a physical mark on the body. That's permanent. Of covenant. It wasn't for health reasons. Even if that's good. But it was for a physical mark. Now watch now. Keep going. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be what? Can you see that? Can you see that? Can you see that? It shall be what? Sign of the covenant what? Between? Keep going. Keep going. And he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child of your generation who is born in your house or brought from money from any foreigner who is not your descendant. He who is born in your house and he who is brought with your money must be circumcised and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his first skin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken. If you break covenant, you are killed. You don't break covenant. Keep going. Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai anymore. <laughs> but Sarah, Sarah shall be her name. Keep going, please. And I will bless her, and I will also give her a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall come from her. And Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old, and shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Then God said, no, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and I'll make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget 12 princes, and I will make a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. God always works in the set time. When he promises. So we can depend on the covenant that we have with God. Can I hear an amen? Can I hear an amen? Can I hear an amen? Let's go to another scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 18. You love this one. You love this one. This is David and Jonathan. David and Jonathan. Do you want me to stop? No. Okay, I keep on a little thoughts. First Samuel 18. I know these are long passages, but I'm reading them. Come as boom. Verse 1. This is a very short one. When David had finished speaking to Saul, now let's let's come back away. David is saving Saul at this time. All right. And Saul is not very friendly to David. He's trying to kill the brother. I'm just fast forwarding. Saul has a son by the name of Jonathan. All right? So it says, and when David had finished speaking to Saul, now he has, a, he has an expression. The soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. Literally, they cut a covenant. It's not just fellow Ratan. That expression there says, it's actually saying they cut a covenant. 
And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. It, 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 it goes beyond just loving, but they cut a covenant. Next verse, verse 2. Saul took him that day and would not let David go home to his father's house anymore. Verse 3. Then Jonathan and David, what did they do? They did what? Why? You remember we said you make covenant with people that you are in love with? You remember that? Yeah, you love, yeah so the covenant makes it permanent. Verse 4. What did Jonathan do? He did what? He took a robe that was on him and what did he do? So what is he saying to David? All my possessions. Everything I killing you on becomes yours. I'm giving you my all. And then he took what? His what? Even his what? And his what? And his what? He's saying, I'll defend you. Mamela. I'll defend you even even against my own father. That's how strong a blood covenant with. Even against my own father, I will defend you. Now let's fast forward. After Jonathan had made this covenant, this is many, many years later. Unfortunately, Jonathan and Saul were killed. When Jonathan made this covenant, he wasn't married yet. He got married in the process and had a son by the name of Mephibosheth. When Jonathan made, when he made the covenant, when he cut the covenant with David, he hadn't, Mephibosheth was not even conceived. He wasn't there. But remember, Whatever covenant you make implicates all that unborn seed that's on the inside of you. Saul, unfortunately, didn't love David, tried to kill David on numerous occasions. And he knew that David was going to be his successor. And Saul influenced everybody in his family made it very clear he dislikes David. And as it was in those days, if you succeeded a man who mistreated you like that, when you came into power, you would do a little bit of ethnic cleansing. You make sure that all his family is wiped out. But in this instance, Jonathan had cut a covenant with David. So one day when there was war, during a time of war, both Jonathan and Saul, as they went to war, they were killed in the battle on the same day. And because the king wasn't anymore there, David ascended the throne. And you can almost think about it, what was going on in the minds of Saul's family. Because they were not aware of the covenant that Jonathan and David had cut. They didn't know about it. So when they heard that Jonathan and his grandfather Saul had been killed, when they heard that Mephibosheth was taken by a nurse, 
to run with this boy away from David, who would be coming in as a king. In the process, she dropped this boy, and this boy became disabled in both feet. But she picked up this boy, ran to a place called Lodiba. The name Lodiba is such a sad name. It, it, it means a place where there's no hope. Even geographically speaking, in terms of the, the way it is, it's a dry desert place. Think about it. Here is Mephibosheth who grew up in a palace. From childhood, he ate the best, associated with the best, and overnight, he moves from being a prince to being a pauper through no fault of his own. Overnight, his life is changed and transformed. And now he is living in this place called Lodiba, where he has to survive for a living. See, Lodiba is such a bad place where you wake up every morning, you don't know what to do with yourself. And whatever vision you have, whatever dream you have, dies in Lodiba. He wakes up thinking maybe the nurse shouldn't have taken me. Lodiba is a place where you say it could have been, it should have been. But your reality doesn't match what you're hoping for. It's in Lodiba where he is not only living with could have been, should have been, not only is he living in poverty, not only is he living in broken dreams, not only is he living in a place where you can't have any vision anymore, but he's living in constant fear. I'm hoping David never finds out about my whereabouts. Because if he ever finds out about my whereabouts, he's going to kill me. And so David ascends into power. And then we read in 2 Samuel chapter 9, I'm fast forwarding, from verse 1, when David comes into power, David says, is there still anyone left in the house of Saul. But notice tune. He said that I may do what? That I may do what? For their sake? Because they were good to me? Because of Saul? I'm showing kindness. For Jonathan's sake. Because I cut the covenant with the brother. And the covenant implicates everybody in the family of Jonathan no matter who they are. And so, think about it. Here is Mephibosheth in this foreign land. He's there and he doesn't know that David is thinking good and he's imagining all kinds of evil. Next verse. There was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. When they called him to David the king, he said to him, are you Ziba? He said, at your service. The king said, is there some, still someone in the house of Saul? Is there not still someone in the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there's still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, where is he? Ziba said, he is in the house of Mashir, the son of Amiel, in Lodiba. Wow. So the king sent and brought him out of the house of Mashir, the son of Amiel, from Lodiba. Now watch this. 
When Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face. Now you can almost imagine what he's thinking. He's thinking, this is the worst day of my life. He found me. I've lived in such a bad way. So he falls on his feet. I'm sure he's only expecting to hear the words, cut his head off. So he protects himself. Then David says to him, Mephibosheth. He answered, here is your servant. I'm sure his voice was trembling. So David says to him, do not fear. Can you imagine? You are expecting a sword to cut you. He said, do not fear. For I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake. Not only will I show you kindness, I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table. How long? How long, Bazalon? Keep going to verse 12. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Listen how he says, verse 9, he says, The king called Ziba, Saul servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belongs to Saul and all his house. Verse 10, You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and he shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Bephimosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 27th. Next verse. Next verse. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant be. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, you shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Verse 12. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. Can I hear a good amen? Watch this, Basala. Mephibosheth is benefiting from somebody else's actions even when he was not born when that will happen. We are doing it for Mephibosheth, for Jonathan's sake. You and I are benefiting for the sake of Jesus Christ who died on the cross. When he was hanging on the cross, he was cutting a covenant with God Almighty. Now let me conclude, Bazalan. When you understand this, then you know how to lean hard on your covenant rights as you face the enemy. Because you know that the covenant is everlasting, it's irrevocable, it will never change. You know that the covenant is meant for you. Now go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And now when you read this, you'll understand the language that was used by David as he was facing Goliath. He didn't face Goliath because he thought he was stronger than Goliath. He faced Goliath because he understood something. It says, now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle. They were gathered at Soko, which belonged to Judah. They camped between Soko and Aziah in Ephes Damim. Keep going. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together. Let me fast track. So Saul is leading the army of Israel. David, on the other hand, this is another story, by the way, just before, before Saul died. David, on the other hand, is sent by his father 
to take food for his brothers who are at war. His brothers are soldiers, but at the battlefront, they are fighting with the Philistines and every day that this guy called Goliath who comes and intimidates them every day. And the guy is tall, he's a giant, he carries a big sword and a big spear and everybody's afraid of him. Skip down to verse 20. Verse 20. So David rose up in the morning, left the ship with the keeper, took the things and that Jesse, his father, had commanded him. So his father sent him to go to the battlefront to take food for his brothers. So he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. Verse 21. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. Keep going, please. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was a champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the men, they fled from him. They were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be the man who kills him. The king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, give him his father's house, exemption from tax in Israel. Oh Lord, please do that even today. Whoops. A tax to Rabazalan. Next verse. And David spoke to the man and said, who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach, watch, from Israel. For who is this what? Come on now. Come on, 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 come on. Who is this what? Who is this what? That's covenant talk. That's covenant talk. David is saying, we have a covenant with God. This guy doesn't have a covenant with God. And you are afraid of him. I can't understand what's the matter with you when we have a covenant. I cannot understand why when you have a covenant with God. Oh, I can't understand why safety belt when you have a covenant with God. I just cannot understand. I can't understand why somebody Satan is when you have a covenant with God. Who's this uncircumcised Philistine? That he should defy. Not defy us. Read it. Oh, come on. Oh, he's saying, you touch us, you are touching the living God. Because we are in covenant with him. Next verse, next verse, next verse. And the people answered him, this man is saying, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. Oh, he skipped the verse. So Eliab, his eldest brother, heard what he said. And he was angry. Against David. See, people, when you understand covenant, some people, but You say, I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus, but we get unknown. You say, no weapon formed against me shall prosper, but we get unknown. You say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but we get unknown. You say, God will never leave me, God will never forsake me, He will be with me. You say, as many as are led by the Spirit of God. You are not saying it because of you. You are saying it because of the one that you are in covenant with. Can I hear an amen in the house? 
He says, why did you come down here? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride, your insol- the insolence of your heart, for you have come to see the battle. Verse 29, David says, what have I done now? What's up, bro? What's up, dog? What have I done now, dog? Is there no a cause? Then he turned from him towards another and said the same thing. See, when people try to discourage you from talking your covenant, and look for some. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Bamlela. Verse 31. And when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul. And he sent for David. David says to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of this guy. <laughs> Your servant will go out. and Listen, when you understand covenant, you will do what others are afraid to do. Next verse. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight him, for you are a youth. He's a man of war from his youth. David said, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. When a lion came or a bear came, I took and took a lamp out of the flock. I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamp from his mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Note the next verse. And your servant that killed both the lion and the bear. And and, and this uncircumcised Philistine. He's saying, King, he's saying, King, understand that the lion was not circumcised. It doesn't have a covenant with God. Come on now, Bazalana. Come on, the bear doesn't have a covenant with God and this guy doesn't have a covenant with God. Highland, now I have a sign on my body that I have a covenant with God. And this guy has defined the armies not of a dead God. He's defined the armies of a living God. He's a covenant making and a covenant keeping God. Verse 37, moreover David says, the Lord who has delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said, go and the Lord be with you. I don't think Saul meant it. I think I don't think he meant it. Next verse. So Saul clothed David with his armor and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. Umufa his armor. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David says, Kerapela 
kibone ipulusa bondate muhulu libomelele lapalaka kibone ipulusa na ipulusa banabaka skampa twexatwela I can't use this. Naka try to rap a hell. Naka try to wala Bible. Naka try to be na karase. Naka try to be na sefehila. Naka try to haka di try la tenam petrake try thing. So David took them off, and he took his staff in his hand. Oh, and chose for himself five smooth stones. This is the five gospels in Matthew, Mark. Take five spoons from the brook, put them in the shepherd's bed in the pouch, which he had, and he sling in his hand, and he comes near to the Philistine. Oh, watch it. So the Philistines came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore his shield went before him. Can you imagine this guy? His shield is so big, somebody else is carrying it on his behalf. Next verse. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was only a youth, ruddy and good looking. Hey, I like it when good looking people serve God, don't you? Ow! I love it to see a handsome guy talking about Jehovah God. Because little the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Big mistake, brother. Big mistake, brother. Because if you curse David, if you curse David, you are as good as cursing God. Big mistake. Next verse. Next verse. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Oh, and then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, whom you have defied. Verse 46, watch it, watch it. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and I will take your head from you and this day I will give your carcass to the camp of the Philistines, to the birds of the air. Listen, you've got to declare what God's going to do through your life. Come on, somebody, give the Lord a shot. you got to say it. you got to say it. Listen, when we say by the stripes of Jesus we are healed, we are not saying it because we have the power. We are saying it because we believe in what God has said. God has said. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Say what God will do through your life. Say what God will do through you. Say what God will do in your life. Say it and say it and say it and say it and say it. This day the Lord will deliver you. And I'll feed your body to the birds of the air and the wild beasts. And all the people will know.
Next verse. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. Ah. Listen to covenant talk. It says, for the battle is the Lord's. You have just touched the Lord. The battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. Verse 48. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to David that David hurried. I can see David. He doesn't run from the giant. He runs towards the giant. Covenant people don't run away from the problem. They run towards the problem because they know when they run, I am not running by myself. Jehovah God is running with me. Run towards the army to meet the Philistines. Next verse. Then David put his hand in his back, took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead so that the stone sank in his forehead and he fell on his face. See, that stone was even better than today's missiles. Mamela, Mamela, Mamela. Because behind that stone was the power of Jehovah God. But Jehovah God is waiting for some man, some woman who knows his covenant rights. Jehovah God is waiting for some man and some woman who will declare their covenant rights. Jehovah God is waiting for some man and some woman who will believe what he says in spite of the giant that's standing in front of them. God is waiting for some man and some woman who will take the initiative to release the stone. And when you release the stone, the power of God will go behind the stone. Verse 50. So David prevailed over the Philistine. With a sling and a stone. And struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword. In the hand of David. They just can't understand why you are getting to where you are getting. They don't understand that there is one who is supporting you. Listen to me. From today. Don't allow any Goliath. To intimidate you. Come on, if you believe that, give the Lord a shout in the house tonight. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody, give the Lord a shout of victory tonight. Come on, if you believe it, give the Lord a shout of victory tonight. Come on, if you believe it, give the Lord a shout of victory tonight. Come on, if you believe it, give the Lord a shout of victory tonight. I see the Goliaths coming down. I said, I see the Goliaths coming down. I said, I see the Goliaths coming down. In the name of Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Rabababa, Sekarabarabus. I've never understood why people are afraid of Satanism. I've never understood why they're afraid of demons. I've never understood why they're afraid. But you see, 
There's an army. I said there's an army. I said there's an army. That's rising up. Are you that army that's going to break every chain? Are you that army that's going to break every chain? Are you that army that's going to break every chain? Will you be the David in your home? Will you be the David in your family? Will you be the David in your community? To turn things around. Can I hear an amen? And you can do that. When you know what your covenant rights are. Ah, oh, Jesus. Can you raise your hands and pray the Holy Ghost? Ah, oh, Jesus. Oh, Rabba, Baba, 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 Ba